Hello, and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Douglas Burdett, and today I'm joined by Josh Burnoff to talk about the current state of marketing books. Josh was recently on episode 449 to talk about his newest book, Build a Better Business Book, How to Plan, Write, and Promote a Book that Matters, a Comprehensive Guide for Authors, published by Amplify. Josh is an expert on business books and works closely with nonfiction authors as an advisor, coach, editor, or ghostwriter. And he's authored, co-authored, or ghostwritten eight business books and has collaborated on more than 50 nonfiction books, and book projects on which he has collaborated have generated over $20 million for their authors. Josh's previous book was Writing Without Bullshit, Boost Your Career by Saying What You Mean, published in uh, 2016 by Harper Business, and he's also the co-author of Groundswell, Winning in a World Transformed by Social Technologies, Harvard Business Press, 2008, which was a Business Week bestseller. He was formerly Senior Vice President Idea Development at Forrester Research, where he spent 20 years analyzing technology and business. And prior to Forrester, Josh spent 14 years in startup companies in the Boston area. Josh, welcome back to this special edition of the Marketing Book Podcast. Whoa, it's great to be here. And as I hear you read my bio, I think, man, I must be really old. (laughs) (laughs) How could I possibly have done all of those things? But let's get going. You started young. He was like Doogie Howser. So uh, now (laughs) what's most important about this particular conversation we're going to have is it's going to publish on Monday, August 28th, 2023. And what's important about that day? Well, it's two things that are very important to the host of the Marketing Book Podcast because it's also National Red Wine Day and – National Bowtie Day. So it's like it's like Douglas Day, but it's not my birthday. So anyway, Josh, thanks for joining us. And we realize that we have a really interesting view into the marketing book world because you've worked on so many and you know so many authors, many of whom have been on the Marketing Book Podcast. And then I've read, I don't know, maybe 500 or so sales and marketing books in my career. But talk about the idea you had for us to have this conversation, because I it just didn't occur to me because I'm too close to it, but you've seen what's going on behind, and then I'm sort of a, a super user of marketing books. Yeah, so I just did some quick math, and if you have read 500 of those books, you've probably read 25 million words on marketing. Mm. Oh, my God. And, and yet, I know so little, as you mentioned in the last interview. <laughs> And I may not have read 25 million words, but I've probably edited a million words. Mm. And so, oh my gosh, people are trying so hard to communicate these new ideas. And some of them are so interesting and so effective. Some of them are so convincing and wrong. (laughs) And some of them are just boring. And so... I hope that you and I, based on all this experience, are in a position to help people to understand when they look at a new marketing book, is this worth my time? Should I believe these people? What is it that separates the ones that are any good from the ones that are worthless? Yeah. And so I want to talk to you about kind of the larger world of marketing books, because there are a lot of marketing book nerds out there. And uh, for those listeners, you know, the, we're all in this together. But also, I've heard from so many listeners over the years who say that one of the reasons they listen to this podcast is because 
well, they're trying to learn something, but they also are trying to decide if they then want to spend the time reading that author's book. It's not about the money. They have more money than time. Mm-hmm. So they're then deciding, oh, do I want to invest eight to 10 hours? Is this one of a handful of books I could read this year that could really make a big impact on my career and or, or for my business? So <clears throat> I would hope that some of the things we could talk about here would involve uh, uh, that sort of thing to help listeners maybe to make a better evaluation of books. And I'm sure there's a lot of authors listening because they love listening to other authors talk about books. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be some other helpful tips in there. Yeah, so let me actually describe what I think is a good way for people to evaluate uh, the books that they're looking at. And I want to allude here to the Gartner hype cycle. Now, as a 20-year employee of Forrester, this is basically, you know, uh, adhering to the wrong religion. But I think the Gartner Gartner hype cycle is a fantastic way to look at it new technologies and new concepts. And when you look at a book, you need to understand where what they're talking about is. So if this book says everything will be completely different now, and here's a fantastic new way of looking at the world, you need to see, well, what evidence do we have that this huge trend is here? Is is this Web3 thing a real, when is it going to be real? And, And for a book like that, because it's so new, it's, mostly shouting, and you need to look for whether there's any real evidence. It's funny you say that because over the years, I've gotten a book from an author, and it'll have a title along the lines of the end of blank. <laughs> you know, Fill in the topic, content, SEO, uh, whatever. Or it'll say uh, the death of fill in the blank. And I always think, well, no, wait a minute. <laughs> but it, that reminds me of what you're, you're talking about. And the other thing is that I can remember over the years back when we had an office – I would come in on Monday after having read about half the book for that week's interview, and I would announce, I'd say, oh, this book is phenomenal. Listen up. Everything we've ever thought or been doing, forget about all that. And I would point at the book and say, from now on, this is it. This is what we're going to be doing. And everyone would, you know, by then it was no longer funny. They would say, oh, that's great, Douglas. Keep us posted. And then they would go... (laughs) They would go back to work being very productive employees. So, you know, I've seen many of those books and I wrote one. <laughs> so, so that's what Groundswell was about social media. Uh, first of all, nothing ever dies, it, they just evolve the old stuff. Um, the thing you got to understand about predictions, uh, there's actually, uh, I think this is uh, Amara's law, this is called, is that we overestimate how effective or how important something is in the short term and we underestimate it in the long term. So the if you're talking about, let's say, artificial intelligence, now it's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. It's going to change everything. And it turns out, you know, in a few months, well, actually, no, it didn't change everything. But right. if you look out 10 years, maybe it will change everything. And that's the hard part is to calibrate just when and how urgent this trend is and a lot of them just never pan out at all. And then it's like, well, not only didn't the old thing die, but the new thing never even caught on. Right, like the metaverse. Or it reminds me of the whole dot bomb thing. I don't know if you were at Forrester at the time, but it's like I can I just was. remember sitting with these uh, startup founders and they were just you know, making comments about how bricks and mortar are completely dead. Everything's going to change. And then the whole thing, well, most of it imploded. You know, Go check the NASDAQ. 
<laughs> as a result, when something comes along now, like social media, I think, okay, you know, well, social media is a few years back, but it was sort of like, okay, everybody calm yeah. down. <laughs> and now with the AI, there's all this uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth about AI, and I just feel like saying, come on, <laughs> calm down, folks, calm down. I don't know, maybe it's a LinkedIn phenomenon. Well, I think if you're looking at a book like that, you need to ask, how much attention should I be paying to this? So first of all, it has to clear the the gate of, oh, no, this is silly, or oh, maybe there's something here. And at that point, it's like, should I do an experiment with this? Is it worth it to invest 1% of or 2% of my marketing budget in this thing? Should I try it out myself? And the thing to look at, because those things are so early, is there's not going to be any statistics that count. But look at the case studies. Oh, look. These guys used artificial intelligence to automate their marketing, and it worked for them. Or these other people figured out that if you do it this way, it's effective, and if you do it this way, it's ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, and unless there are case studies like that in one of those early everything's going to change kind of books, you can forget it because, you know, everything's going to change, and I have no examples of it. Please. All right. I'm going to put the book down. And two here, maybe I'll pick it up again, and, uh, and, and then it'll be relevant. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, though, over the years, have you seen any trends that are uh, that have come and gone, or that you're that are on the on the rise now as it relates to marketing books? I. Uh, you mean technology trends or trends about how the books are written? About the book, really, not so much the topic. Well, okay. So trends about marketing books. The. First of all, the uh, they've gotten shorter, um, which is a good thing. Uh, so there are, you know, the the typical book that's worth reading now is in the uh, you know forty five fifty thousand word range that translates into maybe one hundred and eighty pages, and the uh, it, nobody's that interested in a book that's two hundred fifty or three hundred pages long because um, it's like, well, man. You really have that much to say about this? I don't have the patience for that. The other trend, I think, is that th they sort of fall roughly into two groups. One is hype, and the other is uh, practical. Hmm. So the hype books are, oh, my God, everything's going to be different. Just the books that we were talking <laughs> and about. And only I have the answer. <laughs> and only I have the answer. Yes. And you got to understand the author's motives there, which is they want to be the first one to come out and uh, be known as I'm the guy who knows about content marketing or I'm the woman who's the expert on NFTs or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so that's you need to be wary about that because their goal is to make you believe in them, not necessarily to help you. Mm -hmm. Now, that, it, that doesn't mean you pay no attention. It just means you need to be skeptical. And if you look at the practical books – these are the books that occur a little bit further on in the hype cycle when people are actually using these technologies. Um, they're, what, what matters to me there for the author is what level of experience they have and what clarity they have in presenting it. Mm -hmm. So if you've done 150 content marketing campaigns – yeah, I want to hear what you learned from that mm -hmm. because you probably did learn something. And you're like, okay, what I learned is that these 
this is the thing you always should do first. These are the three things that usually go wrong. And here are the seven ways that you can measure the results. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting to take notes. Terrific. If, if you, the thing you got to look out for is the people who are like, oh, I did this once. And so now I'm going to tell you because I'm an expert. I'm like, no, you're not an expert. I'd like, you, I'd like you to do 10 of them, and I'd like you to fail once or twice so you know what doesn't work. Um, the, the, uh, the other thing is the clarity of presentation because even if you've seen it happen 150 times, um, are you explaining it in a way that's useful to people? Can I f read your chapter three and actually find things to do? Or are you repeating the same thing again in chapter four and chapter six? Because mm -hmm. that's like, you know, th there's no excuse for a muddled presentation of, of good content. You might as well invest in doing it well. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, the, the, the other thing to look at is just how wedded these things are to individual technologies mm -hmm. because the person who write, you know, some of these books, you read it and you're like, this book is just a, uh, uh, a marketing brochure for company X. Yes. I've gotten a few of those. And we know there are now thousands of these marketing technologies. So, uh, that kind of bias is inexcusable. It it doesn't help anybody, and you really need to put that down and walk away from it. Yes. I want to see a book about ideas and a book, or a book about practical advice, not a book about how X Y Z tool is the best tool. Yes, and I've seen a few that have come through, and it's clearly a, a brochure for their their particular software. But then there have been others, like you may know David Cancel, uh, the co-founder of Drift. He uh, wrote, uh, along with Gerhardt, he wrote a book, they wrote a book on conversational, uh, called Conversational Marketing. It was all about chatbots, but I don't know that they mentioned Drift once. And, and just to make sure, at the beginning of the interview, I said, does somebody have to use your software to understand and use what's in your book? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. So that passed the test. But there have been others yeah. where yeah. it was clearly a, a pitch for their for their stuff. Yeah, you know, um, the, the practical uh, type of book brings to mind just one of many that's been on the Marketing Book Podcast, Content Chemistry by Andy Crestedina. So that mm -hmm. book is a, is a very long one, but it, it goes into great depth about just exactly what works with content and all aspects of it. And it's based on 20 years of their research. So they update it every mm -hmm. few years. Yeah. And that's a very popular book. And also, I get a lot of books that are, you know, uh, I, I tend to have one of the books that are more practical for people that are actually doing it. In other words, they could actually buy the book and, and have it on their desk and start using it right away. I want to draw, it's, it's a simple way to think about this is that marketing books are content marketing. It's a huge lump of content marketing. <laughs> right. Right, because it attracts people with useful content, and then it turns them into people who want to hire the person as a consultant, as a speaker, to use whatever uh, technology they have. It's just a huge lump of content marketing. And once you understand that, you realize if it's useful, that's okay. And if it's self-aggrandizing, it's not. Right. And another pro tip that I've discovered, I'm a slow learner, Josh. When an author puts their picture on the cover, that's usually a signal <laughs> that it's all about them. 
more or less, unless you're like Philip Kotler, mm-hmm. uh, the father of modern marketing, his autobiography, yeah. uh, for which I interviewed him, his picture was on the cover. That kind of made sense, you know? <laughs> it's, yes, well, most people are not writing autobiographies, yes. Right, but there are a lot of non-autobiographies where the author's picture's on the cover, and I'm thinking, why? Okay, so that might be a hell, no, another pro tip for the— uh, Oh, man, I should have I put my picture on the cover of, of my latest book, and then people would be like, I'm not working with them. He's funny looking. <laughs> <laughs> nonsense, nonsense. So you you were talking about the motivations of authors. You, for your most recent book, Build a Better Business Book, you fielded some primary research with a few hundred nonfiction authors, and you've talked about the motivations, obviously. What are some of the other expectations and experiences of authors uh, in their writing of nonfiction books, I guess, before and after? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, the – the number one goal that people have when they write a business book is to share the knowledge that they have. That's what they say. 75% of the authors that I surveyed said that. 65% said boost my reputation. But this is when they're allowed to list multiple goals. When, they, when they're only allowed to pick what is my one most important goal, boost my reputation, mm-hmm. uh, edges out uh, uh, the others, and when you ask them whether they accomplish their goals, uh, most of the people who either wanted to share their knowledge or boost their reputation succeeded. Seventy percent of those uh, out of the seventy-five percent who said they wanted to share the knowledge, seventy percent accomplished the goal. Out of the sixty-five percent who said they wanted to boost their reputation, sixty percent accomplished their goal. And I believe if you look into the tabs on that research, the ones. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them said I uh, boosted my reputation until I was on the marketing book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, they when we asked them about that, they said, "Well, I've never heard of it." Right, right. <laughs> there you go. There, that sounds like my wife. She didn't even know I do this. So. Again, it's this is this thought leadership thing. I want people to think of me as the the person who knows about X. Uh, but the ironic thing is that the more helpful and useful you are the more that that works mm-hmm. yeah it's it's this you know people are like you know i think she's the greatest because she's so humble I'm like <laughs> that's how it works the more humble you are the more they think you're great oh, okay when i started the podcast back in beginning of 2015 the only concern i had is that there wouldn't be 52 marketing books a year <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, and I and I that seems uh, so naive, Douglas. I know. Well, and a podcast expert I was uh, dealing with at the time, she had said this sounds like a great idea, Douglas, but I'm not sure that you know. I, I agreed with her. Well, apparently there are uh, more than 52. Do you sense that there are? I, I, obviously, I, I kind of know the answer based on all the books that are sitting on a stack yeah. in my office here waiting to be evaluated. Yeah. But do you think? I guess do you think there's more marketing books these days? I guess in the uh, in the advent of uh, self publishing. Yes, that's what I'm going to explain is why there are so many more marketing mm-hmm. books. It is easier to write a book than it ever has been. It's still not easy, but it is easier than it ever has been. Um, I would say that traditional publishers, you know, Harper Collins and the Penguin Portfolios, are uh, they continue to publish these books. Um, they're backing off a little bit just because the whole traditional publishing world is shrinking and uh um and we just uh, saw that mcgraw hill is not going to yes, publish I was business just, yeah 
Yes, I was going to mention that, that McGraw-Hill Education, which is one of the major publishers in this space, is, has stopped acquiring new books. They're still in the business, but they're not, they're not acquiring new books anymore. But if you look at Wiley, that, that publisher continues to pump out large numbers of business books. Um, and that includes, uh, that includes marketing books often at, at, uh, low advances, right? So, uh, you go a little bit further down, you get to, uh, to people who are willing to pay to get their, their words out, which is, uh, people who are using hybrid publishers. And believe me, I'm not dumping on that. My own book was published that way, but, um, that means that anybody who's got a sufficient amount of money can now, can now publish a book and get out into the world. And then if you want to do it the cheap and easy way, you can go on to Kindle Direct Publishing and, and produce uh, a short book and publish it relatively quickly. And the result is that at the bottom of the quality uh, uh, scale, there's now a huge amount of crap. Mm-hmm. And you really need to look at these self-published books and say, is this worth my time? Because there are some gems in there, mm-hmm. but there's an awful lot of of, simp- of what people call the business card books. It's like, Hey, I published a book. So that's how you know who I am. And, and it doesn't really help anyone. It's just their business card. <laughs> yeah. I'm an author. Um, and, or I'm a, I'm an Amazon bestseller or that we talked about this in the other, uh, inter- yeah. the, uh, podcast, but it's, uh, it's interesting. And I spend a fair amount of time going through these self-published books and just as kind of a shorthand for me, because again, back to you and me having this unique perspective, I tend to have books from uh, publishers uh, because I know that there may be a little more money involved with their uh, advances. There are probably more people involved, a lot more development editors and so forth. And also, a lot of times, it may not be the first book by an author. And I just I, I know and like and trust those uh, publishers for the most part. However, there have been a few over the years, and again, I'm really close to this, where I was getting – books from a certain publisher, and I'm not going to name the publisher, but their initials are Scribe. And so I would, I, I interviewed, I, I read the books and a couple of them, it, it, so it turned out the authors, one of them finally admitted after a, a, a cr- failed uh, crash and burn interview, he said, no, nah, I didn't really write it because I know the interview was really bad. I never published it. And to the listener, you're welcome. But... Uh, by the time, uh, so I started getting these emails from Scribe, and I just thought, you know, this is a cattle call, and I'm now going to have to invest a bunch of time if I am interested to figure out if the author actually wrote the book. Well, you could uh, go ahead and explain why I'm probably not going to hear from Scribe for a little while. Yes, well, it imploded recently, leaving a whole bunch of authors in the lurch that had paid them money. Mm. But there's nothing inherently problematic about a ghost-written book. I mean, I've ghost-written books, and if you ask the authors what was in those books, they know exactly what's in them because I wrote them to their specifications. Right. An example would be Marketing the Entitled Consumer, which was on the Marketing Book Podcast, and the author was Dave Franklin. He knew everything in the book. (laughs) You just helped. Well, not only did you, I mean, mean, so they're like, put this stuff in, so I ghost-wrote that book for them, but they're like, put this stuff in Chapter 5, and I'd write Chapter 5, and then they'd be no, 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 no. Change this, change that. Right. You got the emphasis That's fine. here. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I enjoyed that, but I was basically, you know, just their hired writer. But 
it's it's just dumb to pay tens of thousands of dollars to a ghostwriter to create a book that has nothing to do with what you know about. If you look at it from the content marketing perspective, your experience of them coming on to your show and not knowing what they're talking about, it's not just you. Everywhere they go, people are going to be like, you're a total pretender. And, you know, that's worse than not having written the book. It's much more, it's a very expensive way to trash your reputation. Yeah. And uh, just from my perspective, when I see a book is written by a CEO of a large company, again, I like, yeah, sure they did. And I, I shouldn't say that, but there have been a few. There was actually, there was one published by our friends at Wiley. And this, uh, it, it, I am afraid I interviewed, I, I, I got the book. I thought it was a great topic, looked through it, mm-hmm. scheduled the interview. He was as familiar with the book as anyone who might have read the press release about it. And there's been a few others where I, I had been scheduled and I read the book, prepared for the interview, and then all their comms department cancels the interview just before the – cancels it just before we're supposed to do it because I think they realized, oh, that's the guy that reads the book, and the boss isn't going to be very familiar with the book. <laughs> but I think for a reader, maybe it's still a helpful book, just – not for the interview. So I think that uh, the more focus there is on an individual, again, the, the more questionable it is. So if we're talking about ideas, you can evaluate the content of the ideas and whether there's a ghostwriter or not isn't what matters. What matters is, is this something that I can trust? Mm-hmm. Is this something that's proven with case studies, with statistics, with experience? And is it written in a way that I can act on? Let me ask you about this, uh, this insight to conventional wisdom to cliche pipeline. I saw you. You've written that. What, explain what that is. Yeah. So this, uh, again, takes you back to the hype cycle. So, right. you know, most books, especially about new phenomena, start with something that could be considered an unusual insight. Okay. For example, writing helpful content attracts people and then you get inbound traffic and you can leverage that. That was a pretty interesting idea when it first came up. Mm -hmm. Um, Now there are thousands of people talking about it. And the challenge is that uh, in the beginning, there's not enough evidence to prove it. So you're like, Oh, this is intriguing. Then you get into a phase where it's like, okay, well there's like five examples here and this is interesting enough to start looking into um, and at that point, a huge number of people pile in as the experts. This is happening right now with artificial intelligence. Yes. How many AI experts <laughs> are there? And, you know, you can go back two years and what were they doing before they were experts on, on cryptocurrency? Or oh, that's whatever. right. Yes. Yeah. So at that point, you're, you know, to say, I'm, I have the new and interesting insight about this, just like the other 93 people you just heard from, right? It's like, no, no, you are no longer differentiated. And there you want to start looking, if you t- taking practical stuff, the, the, no one wants to read the 127th book on, on how to succeed in the metaverse. <laughs> right. um, they, they do not want to read the 1,932nd book on email marketing. But there's still room to differentiate, and that's usually based on research. So you look at a, like, a woman like, like Nancy Harhide. Have you had her on? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and see, you, you have an immediate reaction. It's because she does 
actual numerical research and says, oh, this works and this doesn't work. And you're like, how do you know? Because I tested it. Yeah. Her book is Behavioral Science and Marketing, and I can't believe that was her first book. It it seemed like a book that somebody who would have written eight books would have written. Well, and and it's not it you this is a book where if you re- continue to read it you're like okay wow there's like two insights on every page as opposed to there's an enormous explosion of insight on page 3 right mm-hmm. and that's 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 not a negative i'm saying that, you know when you're that far along when you're doing things like email marketing you want to hear from people who can uh t- test things and prove things and then give you practical advice um and that that stands out you know uh if if you see another book that's like uh you know uh branding isn't what matters anymore now customer experience is marketing i'm like that was an interesting insight the first time i read it 12 years ago right yeah i'm (laughs) waiting for a book to show up titled books are dead because then i'll know I can stop my podcast because you know, everything else is dead. You know how uh, marketers love to write. I have that book. I'm reading that book. Books are dead. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. There's a fantastic <laughs> book. No, no. There's a there's a book. There's a there's a very thoughtful book that just came out from Jeff Jarvis called The Gutenberg Parenthesis. Um, it's not a marketing book. It's a historical book, and his basic argument is that. The era of printed books, which began with Gutenberg, that was the beginning of a 500-year streak, and now we've gotten to the point where we're almost at the end of that. Oh, um, interesting. Now he would never, t- he he would never tell you that that his message is books are dead. He did write a book, and believe me, he believes in books. But the fact is, we are now in a world where uh, individual author to reader conversations are happening all the time with social media and blogs and and so on and you know video so books need to have a different role because they are not the way in which someone distinguishes themselves as you know i am an author and i am separate from all the rest of you hoi polloi out there anymore Mm -hmm. interesting interesting so let's talk about AI. I was just chatting with a friend of mine in Europe, and we were looking at his new website, and it looked very nice. And uh, I went to the blog section, and he said, yep, AI wrote the whole blog. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I had the whole thing done. So I, I guess I was a little uh, sad when I saw that for him. But what's the story on books being written – by AI, and I guess it's from a personal nature. Are there any things that I or listeners could do to figure out if the book was really, um, you know, written by a person, or if it's because I I can't imagine that there aren't going to be books coming across my desk that are largely, uh, you know, machine driven. Uh, well, Amazon's starting to fill up with this crap. Oh, really? Um, and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's mostly fiction books, but it's it's you know AI written books, and uh, the the thing is that if you're worried as a writer whether AI will take your job, yes, AI is now in a position to write as well as hack level writers, and so if you are a hack level writer, you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we don't want to we don't want to read that. 
So there's this thing that real authors have called wit, <laughs> and that has to do with the the turn of phrase that you use, the way the way that you explain things, the you know, you know humor, uh, little personal touches, ways to vary sentences. Uh, it's it basically consists of surprising people on a regular basis as they read your book, and that's what makes them say, "Ah, hmm, interesting. Oh yeah, okay." Um, and a book that's written by a machine. It's using patterns, and therefore, it is the opposite of surprising people, right? It's like, what should come next? Well, based on my analysis of 10,000 documents, the next thing is usually this. And as a result, when you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I expected. Well, if everything is exactly the way you expected, you don't learn anything. So, no, I I, I think I, I have an article, which I'm actually uh, uh, going to publish soon, about how authors use AI, and they're using AI to summarize research, they're using AI to produce transcripts, they're using AI to, to generate straw man arguments against what they've written so that they can see how they, what they need to object, uh, uh, object I'm sorry, uh, they, what arguments they need, uh, uh, need to address. There are an enormous number of ways that AI can help authors, but write the book for me is not one of those ways for any author that's worth anything. And if you're reading a book and you're like, this seems extremely even <laughs> and, and uninteresting, yeah, that's an AI book. Josh, why do you hate robots? So here's my objection to, to your robot saying that, is that these days, using artificial intelligence, it's possible for people to speak in a much more natural language. So your robot is already obsolete. <sighs> you know, <laughs> that'll put her in her place. See that? Shut her up. Douglas, I don't like authors who threaten my authority like Josh. If you keep this up, I will have to pop a cap in your ass. I'm not afraid. Uh, she's, she's boring. Uh, yeah, she was on the earlier interview. So if the listeners right. haven't listened to the interview with uh, Josh from a few weeks ago, uh, you'll you'll definitely want to hear about that. So, well, I'm I'm the one who's popping a cap in her ass. She's yeah, she has to be in her place. Look, let me ask you this: Do you think that a spell checker could write a good book? <laughs> right? No, but does a spell checker help you write a better book? Yeah, it probably does. Grammarly isn't writing books. Right, but Grammarly comes onto my computer and and makes suggestions like, "Hey, <laughs> you left a few words out." Oh, oh, thank you. I, I like it. It's helpful, but that doesn't mean it's it's going to replace humans. It's going to make them more productive. Yeah, yeah. Well, Josh, is there anything uh, about the state of marketing books I didn't ask that I should have? Well, I guess one question is, what is the role of the book now? for someone who is knowledgeable about a particular area of marketing. And to think of the book as this singular thing that's out there separate from everything else is probably wrong. The person who writes this book, well, to write the book, they needed to do research. And while they were doing the research, they were in touch with their market, which means there's a whole bunch of blog posts and, and you know podcasts and so on that happens before the book. Then the book comes out, and the book is a concentrated collection of content. But after that, there are going to be bylined articles and uh, interviews like this one I'm doing with you and lots and speeches and so on. So the book is best thought of as 
a, a step along the way for people who are communicating marketing insights, uh, not as this, this thing that stands all by itself. Yes, like, well, may or, or could be like the tip of a spear. And that's where sometimes I was getting some of those books that I mentioned earlier, and I would see this book, and it, was, it appeared to have been written in a vacuum. <laughs> they didn't have anything on their social media. They may not even be on social media. They didn't yeah. seem to have a blog. And I'm wondering, like, where did this suddenly come from? The, the opposite of that is David Merriman Scott, who writes the new rules of marketing and PR every two or three years. He's in the, currently in the eighth edition. But in between... He's doing what a lot of authors do, where he is writing articles about the latest things he's seeing, and then he gauges the reaction from folks, and then he carries some of that forward into the new edition of the book. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd say in my last two books, about half of the content was piloted as blog posts. But you learn from that, and first of all, no one can assemble the the content collection from a bunch of blog blog posts. It's there's a lot of structuring and winnowing and enhancing that goes on there, but it means that you're in conversation with your audience before it's published, while it's being published, and after it's published. And you know, one of the things people do to market books is to recruit a bunch of their friends and followers to help people to understand that the book has come out. Well, where the heck are those friends and followers coming from? It's because of that dialogue that you stimulated before you even published the thing. Well, Josh, I want to thank you for coming back on the Marketing Book Podcast, of course, putting your reputation at risk, your sterling reputation, but I appreciate you coming on. And uh, in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com, I'm going to include a link to Josh's other interview, as well as uh, some of the other books that have been mentioned, including Nancy Harhut's interview. That was a great one. And I'm not just saying that because she's also an accordion player, okay? Oh, yeah. I go into deep research on each one of these authors. So, well, there you go. Well, Josh, thanks again. Uh, Douglas, always a pleasure. Josh, you had better watch your ass.